Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You can feel the passion, the emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds, our European champions. Welcome back to Believe in Borussia, your Borussia Dortmund podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, episode number four, four weeks in the making. And thank you again for tuning in. This is your host, Tilo, and I'm happy to have you with us. If you haven't done so, then please also follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Believe in Borussia is the handle. And if you're there, why don't you also leave us a note, a comment or a review? We really appreciate it. Big shout out to Mike from Arizona. Thank you for the kind words you dropped us on the Apple Podcast review. And we always love to hear from our listeners to help improve the podcast, get some feedback, get your honest thoughts. We really appreciate it. Another big week in the books for Borussia Dortmund. Won the first leg of the Champions League fixture with Manchester City and another one in the Bundesliga, which at this point every game is super crucial because at seven points behind fourth placed Frankfurt, we basically need to win out just to have a shot at making a Champions League. What we need is, you know, to win all the rest of our matches and as I said, it's about doing it. If you were listening to the English-speaking pundits and fans around the land, you couldn't help but feel that this tie was a foregone conclusion. Pep Guardiola's side, the favourites in this match. No way in any possible thoughts going against Man City in this one. I definitely agree with you. I think City's going to do the business. And there is a massive underdog in this competition. And I'm drinking my Bundesliga Kool-Aid right now, Jimmy Conrad. <laughs> I mean, they made it sound as if Dortmund was from some obscure place and City was the two-time defending Champions League champion. A foregone conclusion. They must have been quite surprised to actually see the game pan out because Dortmund, as they can, but unfortunately they always do, put their horsepower on the pitch and more than held their own against City. Instead of seeing City line up chance after chance, they needed a very unfortunate pass from Emre Chan. Manchester City make the most of Dortmund giving them the ball. In another late game nap from our defense to score two goals while Dortmund had a beautiful combination goal. Royce in on goal! Marco Royce! A massive away goal goes in against Pep Guardiola's side. I think second half Dortmund have played really well. They've been braver, they've been better, sharper in possession. And then we're even robbed of another goal. And let's talk about the referee and his team, because there was a couple of things in the game that were just out. First of all, he called a penalty against Dortmund. There was no penalty whatsoever. And I think it was absolutely clear already, before I even saw any replay, to me it was clear as day that there wasn't a penalty. Because even if he would have hit him, his head is so low, it's knee high. That is never dangerous play. That's that's where you're supposed to play the ball with your feet. Oh, he doesn't even make any contact. No contact whatsoever. Will, and surely that one gets chalked off. But then when it went back to VAR, luckily, and they overturned the call, he should have probably carded the guy for diving because Chan was at least a foot away with his foot, no pun intended, from the man. He played the ball and he still collapsed like he got shot in the back or something. In situations like that, I would really wish referees would call dives when they see clear dives. Not only did he not call that and give the yellow card to the actual perpetrator, but he didn't take back the yellow card against Ember Chan. We carded for a foul that Chan didn't commit. Apparently, he probably wiggled himself out by saying Chan intervened too hard, but he intervened correctly. I mean, 
He was done wrong and he got a yellow card for it. So that's not great. But what's really bad is that he called back a perfectly fine goal against Jude Bellingham, who had an amazing game and a great work rate, and snuck out the ball from the defense when the city keeper just had the ball slip away from him when he was trying to play it around in the back. He didn't touch the keeper. He only played the ball. If anything, Eder fouled Bellingham. If you see the replay, you can see him whacking into Bellingham. But unfortunately, and God knows why, the referee blew his whistle before we could put the ball into the goal. And because of that, because there was no goal, there wasn't any opportunity to review the play because the referee had already made that call. And that call itself is not reviewable by VAR. So why another goal would have obviously been great. Having scored that away goal and only needing a 1-0 at home to advance is not the worst of positions to be in for our Wednesday's tie. And there were more bright moments in the game. The Champions League debut star for Ansgar Knauf. Many people, even in Germany, were probably left scratching their head who this guy is and even among Dortmund fans why he would play in such a big game. But he did not disappoint. He brings speed, he brings ferocity, great dribbling skills and he was threatening the goal as the right work rate and it was just what we needed. The whole team picked up the pace, picked up the slack and they really put in a great performance and that makes us hopeful for Wednesday. Now Knauf and Bellingham would also take center stage in the game against Stuttgart this Saturday. As unfortunately is commonplace in the Bundesliga this year, Dortmund showed its two faces. The face of great potential and combination and great goals and the face of nap time in the back. And as they've been doing so many times this season, unfortunately, they invited Stuttgart for the first goal. No one seemed to press the cross. And two people weren't enough to deter Stuttgart's, what is he, 6'6", 6'5", striker from heading a long ball across goal into the opposite corner and and hits again also didn't look that great. So going into half 1-0 down with yet another inexplicable defensive error didn't feel that great. But and here come the positive parts. The team showed a reaction. Right out of the gate, Borussia looked much different, unlike in the Frankfurt game. And Jude Bellingham had been front and center the whole game. Right out of the gates, Dahoud found Gio Reyna in the box, who let the ball drop and just bounced back to the edge of the box, where Bellingham found it and struck it into the net to tie the game. I feel like I've been playing really well recently and to finally get on the the, the score sheet is uh, is nice, you know, um, just a credit of hard work really and, you know, I've got one but I want to try and score more and more now. And for a change, Dortmund didn't live up. Only five minutes later, Marco Reus put Dortmund ahead 2-1. But as we have learned, Bundesliga wins don't come easy these days and Stuttgart again tied the game. But then came the moment of Ansgar Knauf, who got subbed on after around 60 minutes and immediately impacted the game with sparks of energy and good runs. None more important than him taking the ball on the left side of the box, cutting into the center and then whipping it into the far corner. An absolute fantastic goal by the teenager. For some reason, he seems younger than he is. He is one and a half years older than Jude Bellingham, but I guess that's a testament to Jude and how physical and mature he plays. But anyway... Ansgar is a stellar talent and his story is just so heartwarming. When he was 12 years old, he played for the Opel Family Cup. And Opel, the German car maker who's a BVB sponsor and also a Jurgen Klopp sponsor, had Jurgen Klopp there. There's a lovely photo of Ansgar Knauf at 12 years with Jurgen Klopp having his arm wrapped around him after Ansgar was voted player of the tournament at the Opel Family Cup. And Jurgen Klopp actually invited him at that age, at 12, to Dortmund for a practice, for a tryout. Well, it took a few more years, but eventually with 15, Ansgar Knauf moved into the BVB youth house 
and then played for the BVB Youth Squads, where he teamed up with other stellar academy products like Mukuku. And you could already see there that Knauf indeed was a special talent. But this season for him must have been a dream come true. First he got to travel to the summer camp with all the pros under Favre, which is a huge honor and a motivation for any youth player. You know, you can travel with the big dogs, match up against the stars, see a little bit what it means to be a starting 11 player or a star, an international star of soccer. But it didn't only stay with traveling with the pros, no, no. He got his first minutes in the Champions League, then he got his first minutes in the Bundesliga. He signed a pro contract in November until at least 2023. And now this week, Ansgar Knauf, who surprisingly started in midweek against Manchester City, got his first Bundesliga goal in some style in what was only his third ever Bundesliga game. He got his first Champions League start and a winning goal in the Bundesliga. I would say this has been a very good year for him so far. And all Dortmund fans out there can really look forward to seeing more to come because there aren't any signs of him slowing down. But despite the 3-2 victory, Dortmund is still 7 points behind Frankfurt in the 4th spot for the Champions League. And it seems our last Champions League hopes aren't actually catching Frankfurt, but catching Wolfsburg, who are sitting in 3rd place and were defeated by Frankfurt this Saturday. And next week they'll host Bayern, then they have to travel to Stuttgart, which as we know is not an easy game either, and then Wolfsburg hosts us. So we in theory could cut it to maybe three points, even move past Wolfsburg if it goes really good for us and really bad for them. And Wolfsburg also got Union, Leipzig and Mainz to see it out. So that's not exactly a walk in the park. And Frankfurt, quite frankly, they've just been on a tear. They beat us, they beat Bayern, they beat Wolfsburg. If you beat all the direct competition, then you qualify for the Champions League. It's that simple. Our loyal listeners know by now that every week and every episode we take the opportunity to look back and have a look at Borussia Dortmund's history or an anniversary or things of that nature. And this week, a few things crossed my mind and the two that stood out most were a very different nature. On the one hand, there's the terrorist attack on the team bus that occurred four years ago. And I was thinking about talking that and more so talking about the reaction of Dortmund fans and how they supported the Monaco fans that had already traveled to the city with impromptu stayovers. And it is a really cool story, but it's still based on a very sad incident. But since I don't want to be such a Debbie Downer every week, I chose to go a different route and this week honor one of the true club legends of Borussia Dortmund. And I love when people play the game the right way. You played the game the right way, man. You've inspired people all over the world, not just in Germany. On April 9th, Adi Preisler, one of the greatest players to ever put on the black and yellow, would have turned 100 years. Now, why is he considered one of the greatest of all time? Well, let's look at his numbers. Four German Championship Finals, three with Borussia Dortmund and one with Preußen Münster. Two titles, six West German Championships, 274 games and the BVB record 168 goals. He's the top goalscorer of the 1949 and 1950 season with 25 and 24 goals. But more than that, he was the head of the team that led Borussia Dortmund into its first golden era and turned BVB into a household name across Germany. He captained the back-to-back -back championship sides and it is the foundation of BVB's national recognition and really, it's the origin of the club's popularity today. He put Borussia Dortmund on the map and that's why I'm going to talk about him today. So let's rewind a little. 
Adi Preisler was born in Duisburg, not far away from Dortmund, on April 9th in 1921. He played for a local club and he actually won the German Youth Championship with the city selection. But instead of becoming a soccer player, only weeks after his 18th birthday, he was drafted into the German army to fight in the Second World War in the Eastern Front. Unlike millions of others, he survived. After returning from war captivity, he met his future wife in a small town of the Ruhr Valley, a Dortmund girl, and they both moved to Dortmund. There, he could be convinced to lace him up for Borussia Dortmund because big cities like Dortmund offered better job opportunities and playing for Dortmund offered him more nutritious food. Yeah, everything was scarce at that time and food was a rare good. You gotta remember this is an area of coal mines and steel pits, things that are vital to the war effort and therefore bombed and burned down by the Allies. When joining Borussia Dortmund, he wasn't looking for a payday. He was looking for something decent to put in his belly fresh veggies, meat. To do so, playing for a team like Dortmund allowed him to travel to the nearby countryside to have exhibition matches. That was a rare form of entertainment in these trying times for all people around. And instead of paying the players with money, they would just get a full meal, or maybe two or three before the game, and then after the game each player got to take home 50 pounds of potatoes, some fresh greens or meat. Very different times if you compare it to what's going on today and kinds of demands that guys like Mino Raiola are putting up these days. It was so different indeed that it was okay for Preisler to run half across the pitch to give his teammate Kapitulski a literal kick in the butt after he had missed a sitter against Cologne. Preisler said afterwards he'd made that one with his earlobe. But when Kapi scored minutes later, he ran over to him again and gave him a big smooch in the face. In a team of strong characters, a guy like that stood out. His passion, his wit, but also his directness and honesty made him a fan favorite on and off the pitch. The turning point of soccer in the Ruhr area in all of the West was in 1947, when Adi Preisler was on the team that beat Schalke for the first real time. Dortmund had beaten Schalke once before during the war, but with players missing off to war and in the skeleton league, that game didn't hold much value. And besides that, it was all pain, while Schalke 04 was the gold standard of not only the West but national soccer and raked in seven national championships before the war. So beating them in 1947 in the Westphalia Cup final sent shockwaves through the soccer community in the Ruhr area. It was the beginning of the rise of Borussia Dortmund, because only two years later Borussia Dortmund won the West and made it to the German final. In 1949, 40 years after its foundation, Borussia Dortmund had reached the biggest stage possible. There were no European competitions, there was no FIFA Club World Cup, there was only the national championship. That was it. Super Bowl and Final Four and one. 93,000 spectators in Stuttgart and Preisler was a key cog of the machine. Unfortunately, Borussia Dortmund lost a nail-biter in overtime 3-2 due to unbelievable heat and injuries as he couldn't sub injured players back in the days. But a stellar play brought him the attention around Germany, so he took a little detour to Preußen Münster, despite already having lost his heart to Borussia. The simple reason? The Preußen boss organized for him to lease his own gas station, which back then was a lucrative business. On the pitch, he led Preußen to yet another final. Endspiel um die deutsche Fußballmeisterschaft vor 100.000 Zuschauern im Berlin Olympiastadion. In schweren Gruppenspielen hatte sich der erste FC Kaiserslautern und Preußen Münster für den Kampf um die Meisterwürde qualifiziert. And yet again lost, despite playing on the opponent's goal for most of the game, to Kaiserslautern. So in 1952 he returned to Borussia and now he was the undisputed boss. He formed the legendary striker trio called the Three Alfredos. 
consisting of Alfred Adi Preisler, Alfred Nipiklo and Alfred K. Bassa. Their offensive prowess lifted Borussia Dortmund into its second final. And this time, BVB came away victorious. Berliner Olympiastadion, das Endspiel um die deutsche Fußballmeisterschaft 1956 zwischen Borussia Dortmund und dem Südmeister Karlsruher SC. In an exciting game, Borussia defeated Karlsruher SC with 4-2. Preisler himself scored and the other three Afredos also netted one each. For the first time in history, Borussia Dortmund was the German champion. Deutscher Fußballmeister 1956, Borussia Dortmund. The picture of Adi Preisler lifting the trophy with one hand over his head while being carried off by his teammates is one of the most iconic in club history. And you can see it on TIFOs, around the stadium and any historic document that Borussia Dortmund ever produced. After winning the title in 1956, Borussia Dortmund was really humming in 1957. The team was feared throughout the land for its offensive power and basically an early form of tiki-taka. They would circulate the ball so well that they would suffocate the helpless opponents who couldn't get the foot on it. Dortmund comfortably won the West again and reached the final. Coach Schneider was keen to write history and ordered the exact same starting 11 on the pitch that faced off against Karlsruhe a year earlier. The players, however, had a bone to pick with the club management. Big games like this meant big purses for the clubs and the players wanted at least something. Preisler and some of the other vets threatened the bosses to actually resign just before the game. But luckily, they agreed on a bonus and took the field in an offer. From there on out, it was a walk in the park. They easily solved Hamburger as foul. Preisler and Posipal tauschen die Wimpel. Borussia ist von Anfang an überlegen. Going up 3-1 with 26 minutes to play. The three Alfredos rotated constantly, switching positions and overwhelmed the poor HSV defense. Noch eine Minute später erhöht Nipiklo auf 3-1. With the two-goal leads, Dortmund took it easy and only scored one more for a final score of 4-1 and crowning themselves repeat champions with the same starting 11. A feat that was never accomplished again after. Die Borussia 11 eroberte in Hannover zum zweiten Mal hintereinander den Siegesschild der deutschen Fußballmeisterschaft. Preisler was already 36 at the date of the triumph. A Methuselian age for a player physically deprived from war, captivity and hard labor. After having had waited so long and losing two finals despite being the better team, he now was the captain of the back-to-back -back champions. After the title seasons, he slowly wound down his playing career, but not before he could show the next generation of Dortmund heroes like Timo Konitzka, the striker who scored the first Bundesliga goal ever, a few tricks of how to survive in the tough Oberliga West. Konitzka und Tor! Konitzka! While he was a mentor, he wasn't much of a talker. But still, Preisler was always a straight shooter. That rubbed some people wrong, including national team coach Sepp Herberger. He preferred yes-men and well-behaved boys like the Walter brothers from Lautern. And also, he already had two players on the positions that Preisler played that he favored, Fritz Walter from Kaiserslautern and Max Morlock from Nuremberg. In addition, Preisler always said that the Nazis stole 50 caps from him because he was drafted in the army right after his 18th birthday. So at the end of the day, he only suited up twice for Germany, despite being a truly national sporting figure. Preisler would go on to coach a few teams before he eventually retired for good. On June 24th in 1989, 23 years to the day after winning his and Borussia Dortmund's first German championship and overall title, he witnessed Borussia Dortmund lift the German Cup, the first title of the modern era, in 1989. 
He would go on to join Borussia's elder council and stayed connected to the club until he passed in 2003 at the age of 82. The road that leads to Dortmund's practice facility is now named Adi Preisler Allee. And all of today's stars follow his footsteps each day on his namesake alley. He coined a very commonly known proverb, Graust im Leben alle Theorie, entscheidend ist auf dem Platz. That translates roundabout to, Gray is all theory, what matters is what happens on the pitch. The phrase was carried on by players and legendary coaches such as Otto Rehagel. Die Wahrheit, sagt Adi Preisler, liegt auf dem Platz. Adi Preisler was not only one of the greatest Borussen of all times, but one of the greatest German soccer players ever. Thank you so much for tuning in again and listening to Believe in Borussia. Next week, we're going to have our very first guest, a very special appearance by Jordan Gardner, the American soccer investor, who's a co-owner of the Danish top flight club Helsingborg. So he'll be a great person to discuss anything from 50 plus one to different soccer cultures and anything in between. So don't miss next week's podcast. Subscribe and mark our podcast wherever you listen to us. And until then, a black and yellow shout out across America. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.